Hello, and welcome to Twice Exceptional, teens exploring and living with neurodiversity. My name is Kate, and I am the host of this educational podcast. I am currently 16 years old, and I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was 10. Additionally, I was tested for giftedness as a child, making me twice exceptional. I started this podcast because living with ADHD can be difficult, and I wanted to find a way to reach people and share some information about neurodiversity from someone who is currently dealing with it in their everyday life. Not only am I neurodiverse, but I have a brother who is neurodivergent, meaning I have seen how symptoms can be portrayed different in different people. In this podcast, I discuss my own experiences, interview others on their experiences, and share some research on neurodiversity. I have a great interview lined up for you today with Anne Bucheri, a special education teacher who was diagnosed with ADHD last year. I'm so excited to share her story with you. Hi, Anne. Thank you for joining Hello. me today. Hi, thanks for having me. So I want to start with, can you please introduce yourself, including your name, your age, and connections you have to neurodiversity? Sure, absolutely. Um, I'm Anne Bucheri. Um, I am uh, 47 years old. I am a special education teacher. I've been one for the past about 25 years, and um, I also have been recently diagnosed with ADHD. Awesome. And then when did you first hear about ADHD just in general? Well, in general, it probably was during my college coursework uh, when I was going for my bachelor's, uh, which was quite a while ago. Um, but back then they had like two like different divisions of it. You really mm -hmm. had the ADD, which was just attention deficit, which is generally what we would consider that inattentive type. And then they had ADHD, which included the, the hyperactivity um, aspect. So um, now they've kind of merged the two together and just have like, you know, that uh, different types now, the sub subtypes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you were diagnosed with ADHD recently, you said, mm -hmm. but when yep. exactly was that? And was there a specific reason or was it like a mix of reasons? Um, well, uh, I was diagnosed approximately, uh, I think it was a year ago, February. Um, it's, it's been a little while now, but it, I mean, for somebody my age, that's pretty late. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was a kid, uh, I was basically, you know, I was diagnosed with daydreaming. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, they really didn't have a word for it at the time. Mm -hmm. I just knew that, that, you know, I tended to get distracted a lot. Um, so, you know, when I got older and I realized that, you know, during distance learning, I was really having a hard time maintaining my focus. Like I would sit there and, and I've often referred to it as it felt almost like, like a hostage negotiation where I was like, okay, listen, brain, just give me five more minutes. I just need five more minutes, please. And just like trying to negotiate with my own brain. Um, and I'd mentioned that, uh, to a friend who was like, you know, you really should get that checked out. And so I did. And. Um, you know, I'm really glad that I did because uh, I got my diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And how was the diagnosis process for you? Was it fairly easy and straightforward? Well, I'll tell you what, it, it took a lot of like, I had to really kind of talk myself into it a bit because, because I'm a special education teacher. Um, you know, I was a little bit worried that maybe I was like kind of doing that thing where you're oversensitive to to symptoms and you're thinking that, well, I'm just seeing this because it's my job and not because it's actually there. Um, so what I finally kind of got myself um, 
into you know the office to get it um mm -hmm. you know i talked to my doctor about it and i kind of explained what i was seeing and um talked to him about you know some of the things that my co-teacher was seeing some of the things mm -hmm. my family was seeing um and you know i explained to him that whole like trying to negotiate with my brain and he's like well let's go ahead and fill out this form and the form itself it actually made me laugh quite a bit um because i was looking through some of these all these you know all the symptoms and then you're supposed to rate yourself based on like how frequent they happen like what's the severity of those symptoms yeah. and i was just giggling because i'm like i'm just hitting like threes like often 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 for every single one and i'm like well i guess i've, I've kind of got my answer before <laughs> i even had a chance to talk to the doctor about it Mm -hmm. And um, and he also knows what I do for a living, so he kind of you know he trusted my judgment um, and understood that you know I was coming in after kind of really thinking about it and really you know considering is this really something that's going on or is it just me being hypersensitive to it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then you said you teach special education, but mm -hmm. do you have any specific stories, maybe in the classroom or something, that might have made you realize you had ADHD? Um. Okay, so I, I, you know, I have my, my classroom is what's called a cross categorical classroom. And that means that I can have people with a, a variety of disabilities, generally, um, you know, things like, you know, reading, you know, learning disabilities having to do with reading or math. Um, I have people who have ADHD in my class. Um, and, you know, sometimes autism, there's, there's a, a couple of different eligibilities that can kind of end up in my room at the same time. Um, and I was noticing that I did have a, a lot in common with the kids who had the ADHD in it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it really kind of clued me in that, you know, if you're seeing this in them, why do you think that it's valid for them and not for you? Mm -hmm. You know, so that really kind of, that helped me. Um, you know, I had students who, you know, really, had a very hard time, you know, focusing and they were like doing the best they could, but they were also, you know, taking those strategies and, and using them in order to make their world a little bit easier. And I was like, you know what, I think I want that for myself. I think I want to try and see if those strategies um, might be something that worked for me. And so I kind of started on the path that way. Um, you know, my kids kind of inspired me to do it. Um, not only that, but I also have uh, my 21 year old daughter is autistic and she also has ADHD. And I kind of saw how because uh, she was on medication and I saw how her use of the medication was so beneficial to her and, and made things, you know, a lot more manageable. And I was like, again, I'm like, you know, what? I think I want that for myself. And so I finally kind of convinced myself to go in and do that. Mm -hmm. And then how has ADHD been helpful for you in your career or in school? I will tell you, it has boosted my creativity to a huge degree. Um, I, I always kind of kept it under wraps because I felt like that was what was distracting me. But when I was a younger kid, you know, I love to write, I love to write poetry, I love to write stories. Um, I had, um, well, I still have uh, several friends and um, several of us kind of got together over about two years and we created an entire um, graphic novel universe, like we created characters and settings and technology and, you know, the just, um, you know, the antagonists and, and the plot twists and timelines. And um, we even had, we even had like, um, uh, what do you call it? We had um, albums, like we had the, the soundtracks picked out. So if we had to make it in a movie, so it's entirely possible. I wasn't the only one with the ADHD in the group. It's probably <laughs> that it wasn't just me, but it has made my creativity. Now that I've kind of um, 
let it off the chain and kind of said, you know what, I'm just going to let my creativity go. I found it's been bringing me a lot of joy to have so many cool, just kind of thoughts pop into my head. And if I can keep track of them, then I can, you know, um, investigate them and expand on them later. And that's been really fun. Yeah. The creativity is definitely, I feel like a very fun part that I enjoy a lot. And then, but there has there been any significant struggles that you've had because of the ADHD? Yeah. Um, so I was really glad to have stumbled across, I don't know if you've seen her on TikTok. Her name is Katie Asaurus. Uh-huh. Um, I was so glad to have stumbled across her feed because I really owe it to her to have found out what rejection sensitive dysphoria is. Um, Cause that's something I've struggled with like my entire life. And I had no idea that was actually a thing. I thought that I was just, you know, just too sensitive or, you know, that maybe I just felt things a little too hard or I, I, I was, you know, over emotional. Yeah. I got that a lot as a kid and a teenager. Oh, you're just being over emotional. Oh, you know, those people don't mean anything by it. Why are you taking it so hard? You know, and really got a lot of judgment from family and friends because I was so sensitive to, you know, things that I perceived as slights, nothing that they were doing wrong. You know, it's just that my mind kind of immediately jumped to the worst possible scenario. Um, And so even as an adult, you know, I still get really like concerned. I get upset. I get, I start overthinking when, you know, somebody doesn't text me back or, um, or, you know, if, if I've written an email, I'll, and they don't answer the email right away, I'll go back and reread the email and go, oh my gosh, what did I say that may have been offensive, you know? And a big part of my struggle has been trying to kind of talk myself down and work my way through those feelings and trying to understand that, you know, I have to focus only on what the actual facts are. What do I know for sure? And to stop like making assumptions about what other people feel, uh, because that's, I think my biggest weakness is I tend to assume how other people feel and I assume the worst and that's not doing them any favors. It makes me resentful. Um, and it's not doing me any favors because it's making me stress, you know? So Mm -hmm. that's definitely been my, my, one of my biggest struggles is that RSD. Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned Katie source. So Mm -hmm. I'm assuming though, you've seen a lot of the TikTok, Instagram podcast stuff, all about neurodiversity, ADHD and stuff. Yes. I love it. I love it so much. It is, I think it's one of the best parts. Uh, I mean, okay. Yeah. Social media is awful. (laughs) It's it's terrible for us. It's, it's bad. But if I had to pick a bright spot that has been an advantage to that, it's definitely people who are neurodivergent, um, being able to kind of put out their experiences and then people recognizing those experiences in themselves and going, Oh, wait, maybe that's not normal. Maybe, maybe something is going on, you know, they wouldn't have even realized that something may have been a little, you know, off kilter without seeing that. And so I think that that's been one of, you know, the best resources. I mean, granted, you know, there's a lot of people who are like self-diagnosing and, and, and stuff like that. And so obviously, you know, you can't just use TikTok or social media to diagnose your own neurodivergencies, you know, you really do need to bring in professionals for it. Um, but I think that in terms of a screening tool and allowing people to kind of see what you can expect if this is you, I think it's been ma- I think it's been marvelous. I think it yeah. has been really helpful. Yeah, I know because for me, I was diagnosed when I was like ten, but I didn't yeah. do much research on it or look into anything it, mm-hmm. until like over quarantine. I saw one of Connor DeWolf's videos and I realized that like I related to some of that, and then. Suddenly, yeah. I found myself super interested in researching all of this other stuff. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's really, and I think it helps because it, it allows people to kind of approach that subject matter in a way that's not super threatening because it's like, you know, it's, if you have the choice of either looking at like a professional medical journal about ADHD or three minute TikTok, you know, it's obviously which one's a little bit more approachable. You know, mm -hmm. you don't see a lot of people like seeking out medical journals, uh, you know, scientific journals and reading the abstracts to find out, you know, hey, does this have anything to do with me? It's more common. It's, it's almost like the, the the social media aspects are kind of meeting people where they are and allowing them to kind of see and then that kind of triggers that need to go and then do further research or go and get um, some kind of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, evaluation and, and find out, you know, if, if this is something for real and, you know, if so, what to do about it. Yeah, I feel like it also helps with the realizing that you're not the only person experiencing these. Yes, so that's yeah. definitely been a thing for me. Yeah, I um, I worked with uh, what's funny is is I worked with a nurse. Um, I used to do the diagnostic aspects of my job as well, which is mm -hmm. where I would go in and do like academic testing and kind of consult with the psychologist and we look at the test scores and kind of figure out, you know, are these scores kind of a pattern of, you know, some kind of a disability? And if so, what kind and what can we do about it? And uh, then on that team is typically a school nurse. And I told the school nurse when I was on this team, when I was again, still, this is many like eight years ago, um, still having trouble kind of focusing and uh, whereas my memory was really great, like being able to kind of hold on to a thread and keep with what the conversation was, you know, talking about in these meetings sometimes was a real challenge for me. And I told the nurse, I'm like, I think I might have adult onset ADHD. And she's like, no, she's like, if you have ADHD, you've had ADHD. And I'm like, oh, you know, and then I started thinking about it. I'm like, I wonder, you know, I, I got okay grades in school. And then my mom found my report cards from when I was a kid and every single one of them, like every two, two, every single one, Annie daydreams a lot. It'd be great if she didn't daydream so much. And I'm like, y'all didn't see that pattern and think maybe something was going on. And so, you know, apparently it was a part of me when I was a kid, they just mm -hmm. called it something else. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then has there, or what part of ADHD do you personally feel like needs to be addressed more and why? Oh, um, you know, I think, I think that we don't do enough in terms of, you know, we, we always have like, they, they have these kind of standard little strategies that they're like, hey, you should try using a planner or you should try, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of strategies that just definitely don't work. I think it'd be great if we could do some more research into other like innovative strategies that might work. I think that we're doing all kinds of research into who's getting ADHD, who's neurodivergent, how is that manifested and stuff like that. And I think that we don't have enough of those you know, strategies beyond medication and not that medication is a bad thing. It's a, it's a useful tool. And if that's something that's right for you, then you should definitely, you know, mm -hmm. try it. Um, but I think that there's not as much information out there about other things you can do besides the medication to also kind of make your life easier. And I think that that's a place where we can put a lot more research. Um, I think we should put a lot more time towards finding other things besides the medication just so okay here's your pill you're done you're 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 cured because that's certainly not the way it works yeah because the medication can only go so far anyway because right. like it works for a certain period of time throughout the day sometimes yeah. there's issues getting it like so there oh needs my gosh. to be other strategies I went on my 
odyssey yesterday trying to find my medication. I had to go to four different pharmacies because there's like, uh, there's a shortage of it. Yeah. And we you had know, problems just, with that last month ish. Yeah. And I, there ready, were a few days it's still that a problem. I had to go without it. And I was like, ooh. It was only yeah. like one school day though. So it was okay. That's good. Yeah. So you can buy and kind of be a little strategic about it. Be like, okay, I know that there's a shortage of this and maybe I should like take the weekends off just in case, which is not something that we should have to do. Um, you know, it, you don't see, I'm, I'm not going to get into that, but I'm just saying that yeah, you know, okay. that's, it, it's a bad situation. Yeah. When it's like, we're allowing that shortage to happen to that degree that people are skipping doses because they know they won't be able to find it. Mm-hmm. I was lucky. I, I managed to find it on the day that I needed it. So yay me, That's but good. boy, oh boy, did I luck out. <laughs> yeah. And then, okay. So you said you teach special education. Mm-hmm. And so do you think that having ADHD has impacted some of how you like approach that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, now that I, I, I recognize what the symptoms are, and I've always had um, kind of an issue with staff meetings because our staff meetings are always after school. And after school, that's the worst possible time for me because A, I'm tired, B, my meds are wearing off, and C, you know, it's not the kind of topics that would generally keep my attention in the first place. So I don't get that kind of pop of dopamine like, ooh, this is interesting to me, and then maybe that could help keep me on task. And so, um, I definitely just forgot the question. <laughs> Can you repeat the question? I'm sorry. Yeah, it's about special education teaching. Has ADHD impacted how you oh, approach it? Thank you. Yes. Um, so yeah, so I think I've developed a lot more grace with my students in that, whereas I used to maybe get a little impatient with kids who are having trouble focusing. And believe me, I can have like six or seven of them in the same room and nobody's maintaining focus at the same time. And it sometimes feels a little bit like whack-a-mole, but you know, I've, I've found that it's like understanding what the neurodivergency is and understanding what the, what the implications are and understanding that especially like when it's at the second half of the day and, you know, I know my meds are wearing off and I try and give myself some grace. So of course I'm going to give that to the kids as well and kind of say, listen, I understand it's eighth hour. It's we're, we're all kind of tired. We're all not really good at focusing. Let's try and work together to get through what we absolutely must. And then making sure that I'm offering um, moments where they can get like a brain break without it being like sneaking a look at their phone. You know, Um, I'm trying more and more to kind of work with having the cell phones in uh, the classroom. And that's something else that I I have been thinking about that my uh, ADHD has kind of, you know, made me think a little bit differently about, but it's like giving those kids those, natural breaks like if we're going to be transitioning from one thing to another that little middle time when i'm getting set up is the first purpose time for me to say hey if you want to like tune out for a few seconds while i'm getting myself set up and you want to scroll through TikTok or check your text messages or whatever and just do whatever you need to do to kind of give yourself that little brain break then we all got to like regroup and be back together here in a, in about you know five minutes i think that that is helpful for the kids or at least telling them listen I need to cover this, this, and this. And then after that, we can kind of like, if you need to like plug in because there's just way too stimul- many stimulations going on in this room, too much noise, too much sensory input. And you need to like plug in because that helps you kind of block some of that out. You know, I understand that I need to kind of communicate when is that going to be available? Because if you're like, oh, I might be able to do it maybe 
that's going to cause anxiety as well. And that's going to cause you agitation as well. And so just kind of getting that, hey, here's the light at the end of the tunnel. We need to get through these next three questions. And then once we're done with that, you guys will have independent time. You can kind of like plug in and block out the world. Um, and so I've been kind of very, very conscious of both, you know, how I'm doing during the day could be very similar to how they're doing during the day. And that we all just kind of grant each other a little bit of grace, especially like at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, and then the thing with the cell phones is, you know, we're in a world where adults have to be able to kind of have that phone and, you know, regulate that for themselves. And so for me, it's like not so much as the, hey, you need to put it away. It's more now training them to develop that self-discipline, to like develop that self-control, like putting off looking at the phone until we get this thing done, using it to be more of like a treat or a reward for getting what they needed to get done done and kind of, you know, incorporating it into, you know, my classroom management instead of trying to fight against it. Mm -hmm. Because I know that for a lot of kids, that phone is kind of their, that's, that's kind of their little safe space, you know, that's where they kind of retreat to when they need that break. And, you know, I recognize I do it myself. So, you know, I, I've been trying that has definitely um, changed the way that I teach in my special education classroom in that kind of understanding what my symptomology is and what my needs are that those kids are probably going to have very similar ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree about the phone thing. I mean, for me, at least, it actually helped me get work done sometimes when it's boring work. Oh. If I'm like, like, when I'm around the house, I know my parents get a little annoyed about it, but like, I almost always have headphones in and listening to music or podcasts while doing stuff, even if I've like, heard fine. them before. No, and that's fine. Because I mean, if that really, I mean, we, our brains, they require constant input. Mm -hmm. You know, it's and it's like anything you can do, like I have not watch tv where i just watch tv in years mm -hmm. like i always have something i'll be like i used to make like little beaded bracelets and i would be sitting there and i'd listen to the tv and do the craft that i was doing but i'd have to do both at the same time i couldn't do just watching tv like that's mm -hmm. not something i am able to do but if i've got my little match three game and I'm watching John Oliver, you know, I can kind of play my little match three game and kind of pay attention to both at the same time. And, um, you know, that does have like that multitasking thing is almost, you know, a necessary thing for us. We have to be doing more than one thing at once. Yeah. And then the other part that you mentioned was like sensory issues and sensory overload issues. Absolutely. How would you like deal with that in a classroom? Because I know I've had oh. moments where I like can't deal with it and that was actually yeah. a really bad moment once because the marching band just came through the hallway right then and I was like this is not good oh, timing no. <laughs> it was fine I didn't go in the hallway to watch them unlike the other kids but I was like this is just bad timing it is it's yeah and it happens at the worst possible times too you know um but I mean I know that it, it's a really hard line to kind of balance on you know because you do have to like make sure that you're accomplishing what you need to accomplish and giving kids opportunity to do that. But at the same time, um, uh, schools are outrageously loud and complicated and confusing places that have a lot of noise and a lot of people. Um, and just trying to understand that sometimes kids are going to need to get away from it. I had a kid just today. She was kind of negotiating with my my 
TA, my um, teaching assistant, because she was like, I've, I've had enough today. <laughs> and she's like, can I just, she's like, I've got my thing done. I just need to, can I go out and walk around the hall for like five minutes? I just need to get away from the noise. And I'm like, you got it. No problem. And just kind of encouraging them to communicate in a productive and a, a productive way that allows them to like, they can ask the question and understanding that sometimes the answer is going to be no and accepting that no as an answer is important, but also, you know, approaching it and making sure that you're communicating to the teacher exactly why, you know, you need that time to go out in the hall because, you know, sensory overload is an absolutely real thing. And sometimes we just need to get away from the noise or so many people, like you have all those people around you and it's like, I just need some people free time. Um, and I've noticed that now, in my family, we have three of us, three out of the four of us have ADHD. Um, my husband mm -hmm. is the only one that doesn't. Um, so my 21 year old has it and my 11 year old has it and I have it. And one of the things that I've learned from Jillian, actually, the little one, the 11 year old is um, the way that she communicates when she has had that sensory overload is she'll come home and say, Mom, I need no human contact. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I'm like, let me know when you're feeling a little better and then we'll, you know, go over homework or whatever. And so I've been kind of trying to help my kids communicate the same way that she did that. Because at 11 years old, that's pretty darn good to be able to say, I recognize what's going on. I recognize what I need to fix it. And then I need to come up with the right words in order to communicate to you what I want in a respectful way that doesn't make it sound like I don't want to see you right now, you know? Um, and so, you know, just trying to give the kids the opportunities to communicate in a way that is productive and that will likely, um, end up with a yes, you know, um, unfortunately, not every teacher is going to be open to mm -hmm. that kind of thing and kind of helping kids through the emotions and the reactions that they're going to have when they're told no, and then they have to go back to the seat and it's loud or there's a lot of people or it smells weird or like they're making fish in the cafeteria. That's the worst day ever. Let me tell you when it smells funny. Um, yeah, so I just kind of letting them understand that you know, they may not get it and we've got to work to try and get there, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that's a hard part that kids really shouldn't have to deal with, but they do. And it kind of trains them for later on when they're like in the work environment, then they've got to approach a boss instead of a teacher and say, Hey, this is what I need. Um, mm -hmm. here's how I've dealt with it in the past. Can we work something out so that I can do that? And then just giving them that opportunity and that safe place of school instead of out in the world and trying to figure it out for themselves yeah that's yeah and then I had another question that came up just because of what that's I'm okay. doing right now which is kind of fidgeting yeah. so mm -hmm. like do you have any strategies for hyperactivity in the classroom and like how do you feel about like fidget toys and stuff okay like I literally can't sit still even right now <laughs> okay so my thing with fidget toys is I I I am a believer in them okay do I think they can go horribly wrong? Absolutely, they can. <laughs> um, I would rather have a kid have something they don't need, but have rather than have a kid who needs something but doesn't have it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and I have found that you can find some really great silent fidget spinners because generally the thing that like bothered me the most like fidget spinners that make noise that's like like you're you're calming down and it's setting me off you know it's like i need it yeah. to be quiet there's this amazing one that i got i got two of them <laughs> they're little they're a thor's hammer it's a little mjolnir 
Okay. And it's absolutely silent. It's got the best little um, ball bearings in it and it's absolutely silent and it's a wonderful fidget toy. And I just, I bring it to, I've developed a reputation in my school for being the one who has a little Thor sp fidget spinner. And then I've got an extra one with me and I hand it out to whoever happens to need it. Um, so like, I'm a big believer in, you know, have it ready. So you have, they have something that is not going to drive me crazy, but will help with what they need. You see what mm -hmm. I mean? It's yeah. like instead of waiting for the fidget spinners to come in and they may be whatever they may be, you know, saying, hey, here's what I have that doesn't drive me crazy that you can use. And so we can both be OK. Yeah. So trying to make that happen for kids is is important, you know, because mm -hmm. and that's a weird balance. It's like, OK, I got to make sure that it's not going to set off my sensory issues while also helping them deal with theirs. Yeah. You know, and and it's, it's fun. There's there's a lot of things that you can find that actually do work pretty well. Mm hmm. Okay. And then, okay. So we're getting back to the other questions a little bit about your personal ones. Mm -hmm. So often for me, at least I find that I have to stand up in the classroom a lot and stuff. And so people often ask me why, and I'm like, oh, it's because I have ADHD or whatever. But do you often tell people you have it? ADHD? Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think that the more often people can see someone who they maybe wouldn't expect to have ADHD, that has it, um, that that can't do anything but kind of help other people realize I'm not alone, you know, especially when they're my age, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm an adult, adult, I'm an adulty adult, you know, and for me saying, listen, I've got ADHD and, you know, what if there's another adult in the room who was, oh, that's a kid thing, you know, oh, that's, that's, that's a young person thing. No, it's absolutely not. It is definitely a, an adult thing um, and kind of trying to, spread the word that yes, you can have this as an adult because for the longest time it was thought, oh, you grow out of it. And then really the, the situation is, no, it gets worse <laughs> as you get older. Um, and it does, and especially for women, it can be linked to, you know, your monthly cycle too, that yeah. can kind of throw things out of whack as well. Um, and you know, the more that I can communicate that, yeah, I have it, I have a diagnosis, I'm also on medication, here's the strategies I use, and people are seeing me use my little Thor spin, fidget spinner during a staff meeting, it normalizes it, mm -hmm. you know, and the more normalized you can make that, then the more opportunities for other people who need the same thing to feel comfortable doing it. Mm -hmm. That oh, kind of addressed the next question, but mm -hmm. have you faced any stereotypes based on your ADHD or have you seen other people face stereotypes or? Okay, so a lot of it came from like my folks. Uh, they're, they're boomers. <laughs> Um, I love them to death, but they, um, you know, they come from a time when it's like, you know, you, you just, if, if the kid was acting up, then you clearly were not, you know, punishing them enough. Um, and being a, a, you know, a girl, and we're so good at masking, you know, we are fantastic at blending in, um, you know, just over the years of like having so many years of having to kind of mask what's going on and blending in and not giving in to like, you know, things that I wanted to do because I knew that my impulsivity might push things, you know, beyond what people would tolerate from me. Um, you know, having that for so long and then finally I'm an adult and I'm like, hey, yeah, I've got ADHD. And they're like, what do you mean you have ADHD? You were fine as a kid. And I'm like, actually, I wasn't, you know, look at all the report cards. <laughs> they all said the same thing. And, you know, just coming back to that. So 
a lot of the discrimination that I see or anything that like people have doubts usually comes from people who are like the generation older than me because mm -hmm. you know we for so long were able or for I rather was for so long able to just kind of mask it and kind of hold it inside and not really feel I was being who I was um to make them comfortable you know it's an it's it's a hard conversation to have you know to kind of have them face the fact that the reason why I was blending in is because I wasn't feeling like myself. That's that's a hard mm -hmm. thing for them to hear. So it, it comes with some really difficult conversations that, you know, people may or may not be ready for. Mm -hmm. And then finally, what can friends or family members do to provide support for you? Um, you know, just kind of listen and, you know, just believe. You know, for somebody my age, that's that's probably the biggest thing. Just believe us. You know, um, people who are my age, people who are middle aged, they absolutely have ADHD and they do need help sometimes, and they do need a little bit of accommodation, and they do need a little bit of grace. And just, you know, trying to kind of be as understanding as possible, um, because it's like we're, we're we offer so much understanding for kids with it. But when it comes to adults, it's not quite as as welcoming. You know what uh -huh. I mean? Yeah. So. Well, thank you so much for coming on. No problem. I appreciate it. I, I love being able to talk about this stuff. Thanks so much, Anne, for sharing with us. If you would like to share your story, please feel free to reach out to me through email to twiceexceptionalpodcast at gmail.com or message me on Instagram or TikTok at twice underscore exceptional podcast. Consider following the podcast on our social media or sharing it with others to keep spreading the word about the complexities of neurodiversity. I have two more interviews lined up with Emmis, a high schooler with autism, and Phil, a former Marine sniper with ADHD. So let me know if you guys are enjoying these interviews, and as always, I would love to hear from you.